Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I am being joined on this chilly, super chilly Sunday morning by my dear friend, Dr. Marty Greer. And we today are going to take you through the current mass hysteria of canine influenza. Now, Marty can share some of this, but this current situation actually started in Oregon. So I've been a little in tune to it. One of our Pure Dog Talk listeners was at the Golden Retriever National, which was in Albany, Oregon, the end uh, August 1st of September. And his dogs were amongst the first affected by this. So Marty, hopefully the snow and your internet can be friends for just half an hour or so. <laughs> eh, we don't ask for much. Yeah. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Puppies have a knack for getting into mischief, especially around all the tasty treats and decorations during the holidays. With Trupanion's Breeder Support Program, you can help ensure they're protected in their new homes, even if they find themselves on the naughty list. This program allows you to send each puppy home with a special Trupanion Go Home Day offer, providing immediate coverage for unexpected accidents and illnesses. Even better, Trupanion has no payout limits, and they're able to pay the veterinarian directly at the time of checkout. Perfect. The Trupanion Breeder Support Program is completely free to join and available for breeders in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Getting started is quick and easy. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com to give yourself and your buyers peace of mind this holiday season. So talk to us about this canine influenza. Talk to us about kind of the path it's taken and where we are today. Well, yes, it's a great question. So canine influenza is an influenza A. There are two known strains for which we have a vaccine for each. It's an influenza very similar to what human influenza, equine influenza, other species have for influenza, and it causes upper respiratory disease. A lot of times when people refer to having the flu, they actually mean they have a GI upset and really it's oftentimes food poisoning and it's really not the flu. They just want to call it something nice when it probably isn't nice. But influenza truly is a respiratory disease and it is classified in the CIRD, the Canine Infectious Respiratory Disease Complex. So a lot of times that's either called CIRD or it's called kennel cough. So there's a whole bucket of stuff that falls in the kennel cough bucket. And it's not necessarily a diagnosis. It's a description. It's a collection of disorders, diseases, but it's not necessarily a diagnosis. So we have had outbreaks of canine influenza the first known outbreak was in 2004 in a colony of greyhounds, I believe in Florida. And they think it was a mutation from the equine version of influenza. And that was H3N8. There's now also an H3N2 that we have identified and can vaccinate against. 
like all respiratory diseases, it causes a cough. But in this particular case, influenza can cause disease severe enough to cause hemorrhagic pneumonia and the death of patients. And there have been patients that have died in this last outbreak that occurred this fall. Right. And so talk to us. I am somewhat flummoxed because I knew about it when it was happening. And now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm seeing people when there isn't any disease around them avoiding events. And so talk to us about how it moved from, yes, we're having an outbreak and it was in Oregon to now people all over the country won't go anywhere. Is it the media? I mean, what happened here? Well, partially it's media, partially it's misinformation, courtesy of the media. And partially there was a lack of vaccine. And the vaccine insufficient supply appears to have been corrected or is being corrected. So things are better. In 2004, when this first happened, we didn't have any vaccine and no dogs in any part of the world that we know of had immunity to this. So Ron Schultz, the vaccine guru from the University of Wisconsin, made a recommendation that all dogs should be vaccinated against this, that it should be considered a core vaccine because no dogs had natural immunity. It was like when Parvo happened in the late 70s and early 80s, came out of nowhere, there was no immunity and bada bing, bada boom, we've got dogs that are desperately sick and dying. And we did have dogs that died during this most recent outbreak. And it appears that well, it had to get to the Golden Retriever National somehow. It's not like the Golden Retriever group invented it, like they went in magic. Yeah, just drummed up a new virus. But it appears that it reared its ugly head there. There were a number of dogs that were there that then went back to all over the U.S. So they were East Coast, Midwest, everywhere. And these dogs were coming back with respiratory disease. And it was easy to just say, oh, it's kennel cough. Here's some medication. You'll be fine. But One of my associates was involved with some of the golden retrievers that were at that show. And I was in surgery the day she walked in and said, you know, we've got these dogs that are coming back from the Golden National with a pretty bad cough. And I don't know why, but the hair kind of stood up on the back of my neck. And I said, we need to get these dogs tested for what kind of virus or bacteria we have. Mm -hmm. We can't just say, here's a bottle of antibiotics, go home, you'll be fine. There was just something about I don't know if it was her tone of voice or the number of dogs that were involved. There's something about that conversation that just said to me, we got problems. Because if you just see one dog cough, you know, you start them on some doxycycline, some clavamox. If it's viral, that's going to help with any secondary bacterial infections. It's really not going to treat the virus. We don't have an antiviral drug. So, you know, here you go. Give them fluids. Give them supportive care. Give them a cough suppressant if it's appropriate. Give them an antibiotic and merrily go on your way. But there was just something about that conversation that felt wrong. So we swabbed the most recently started to cough dog. So we didn't want a dog that had already been coughing for a week by the time we did the sample collection and submitted that to our local diagnostic lab at the same time that a number of other people were submitting samples. So we weren't the only ones by any stretch of the imagination that felt the same was we need a diagnosis on this. So at our diagnostic lab in Wisconsin, they came back with influenza A. At some of the other diagnostic labs, they came back with influenza H3N two, I believe. Not that it makes that much of a difference if it's H3N2 or H3N8, it's influenza. Anyway, so there were multiple labs with multiple dogs that had all been at the same event that were coming up with the same answer. And so when I walked up to my front desk last week and on the computer screen in front of my receptionist, there was a message from the media that said mystery disease. I was like, it's really not this mysterious, folks. This started in September that we know of. I'm sure a dog had to bring it to the Golden Retriever National, Mm -hmm. and we don't know who, we don't care who. It happens. 
you know, people bring dogs that may not even look sick, just like with COVID, we have people that could be walking around looking absolutely normal, but still potentially spreading the virus. And of course, dogs share water bowls and dogs cough on each other and dogs bark at each other. And so we need to start addressing it by getting more dogs vaccinated, more dogs immunized. So it's time for us to not call it a mystery disease. It's time for us to make some decisions on whether this is a lifestyle vaccine or a core vaccine and get some of these dogs vaccinated that are at risk because this is a very serious illness. No question that if the dogs don't have immunity, it's a very serious illness. Like I said, it causes hemorrhagic pneumonia. Some of these dogs are dying, even if they've been put on ventilators and all the really high powered stuff that they've been doing. Sometimes we're still losing dogs to this. And it's really a shame to lose dogs to a disease that we can vaccinate against. And so, Marty, one of the things that's in the current sort of mass media reports is that this particular strain is antibiotic resistant, which to me is a little bit of a struggle since it's a virus. But are they talking about the actual pneumonia that's coming with it? I'm not sure where that's coming from because it is a virus. So, yes, it is not going to respond to an antibiotic. And we don't really have good antiviral drugs that we've got experience with on the veterinary side. There are people that dabble in some of the things that are used on the human side, but we don't have any studies. We don't have any data. So it's a little bit of a stretch to say that I'm going to start reaching out and putting dogs on an antiviral drug without having specific information about it. So I don't think that that's a good idea. I think the most important thing is that we start vaccinating dogs. We did have two companies making vaccine and for a bit... They were both on back order, and I believe Merck has discontinued their vaccine. I could be incorrect on that, mm. but we do have Zoetis vaccine that does protect against both strains. Okay. Most of my adult dogs at my house were already vaccinated for the canine influenza bivalent, meaning both H3N2 and H3N8, but my young dogs hadn't been because the vaccine hadn't been available. So now at my house, everybody is vaccinated with two vaccinations, and we are recommending it for people that are in situations like your listeners that travel with their dogs, compete with their dogs, and I don't care if you're doing agility or fly ball or competition with hunt tests or field trials or confirmation, if you're going to the dog park, if your dogs are going to the groomer, any dog that qualifies as based on lifestyle for Bordetella vaccinations should also be receiving canine influenza vaccine. And this is all happening at a time that I'm seeing news reports on the human side and the veterinary side that people are increasingly reluctant to vaccinate. Mm. So it's worrisome to me that people are more afraid of the vaccine than they are of the disease, but they're afraid enough of the disease to not go places. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is kind of a conundrum. So this might be a little bit of a rabbit hole, but this might be the day to do it. There is within the dog community as you say, sort of a growing reluctance to vaccinate, concerns that too many vaccines are causing problems. And so how do we talk to people about that and weigh the pros and cons as responsible dog breeders? Sure. And that's a really good question. I think if you look at medicine, human and veterinary medicine, and you look at what breakthroughs have happened since the 1400s, let's just pick a date. Is it anesthesia? Is it surgery? Is it cancer treatment? Is it imaging? Is it antibiotics? Mm -hmm. Is it vaccines? I mean, we have these amazing things that didn't happen hundreds of years ago, even a hundred years ago. Right. And when you look at what has saved the most lives, 
I think we can pretty safely say that vaccines have done that. Yes, anesthesia and surgery are important. Yes, cancer treatment is critical. Yes, all those things are important. Antibiotics are crucial. But if you look at what has the widest spread change in humans and in animals, it's got to be vaccines. And I don't vaccinate myself for absolutely everything, and I don't vaccinate all my dogs for absolutely everything. But I think that we have to be smart about how we select vaccines, and I think we have to be smart about how many we give at one time, how we administer them, at what ages. You know, and if you're working with a veterinarian that's forward thinking and willing to work through this with you, I think it makes a lot of sense to do vaccinations when it's appropriate. We have discussions with people that Lyme disease in Wisconsin, we see more of it in January and February than any other time of the year. So should we time our vaccinations accordingly? We see more lepto in the spring and the fall when there's standing water. So think about, because bacterins like Lyme disease and lepto don't give us long-lasting immunity. We get relatively short immunity, six to 12 months with those. Viruses, we get much longer immunity, which is why we can do distemper and parvo after the initial series and the 15-month vaccination every three plus years for dogs. We don't even know how long rabies lasts, but rabies vaccinations are given on a three-year rotation because of the human health safety issue. And people have to be put ahead of our animals when it comes to safety. So that's why it's been a lot of pushback on saying rabies is good for a longer period of time than it is. Now, I personally was vaccinated for rabies as a veterinary student. I got the human diploid cell culture vaccination as my second and third vaccination. The first was duck embryo. I was vaccinated last in 1981, and I had a titer done last week, and I still have a protective titer to rabies. But remember, the human rabies vaccine is developed differently than the dog. There's a lot of different things. So we can't say, well, a dog's vaccination for rabies should last forever. We don't know. And titers are not a substitution for rabies vaccinations. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, guys, whether you're a first time breeder or a seasoned veteran, it's not just a litter. It's your legacy. Each puppy represents your hard work, your dedication, and it shows your commitment to the next generation. Revival is honored to support you every step of the way. You can find everything you need to support your litters and the health of your dams and sires with Breeders Edge, Revival's premium line of reproductive and neonatal health products. Breeders Edge was actually developed with the help of our very own Dr. Marty Greer, Revival's Director of Veterinary Services, and a leading expert in canine reproduction and neonatal care. Breeders also rely on Revival, the pet vaccine experts, for vaccine selection and safe shipping to give their litters the protection they need. Revival's online pharmacy serves breeders with a wide variety of prescription medications, plus a knowledgeable staff that's always ready to answer any questions. Grow your own healthy legacy with help from Revival Animal Health. And check this out one time only, $15 off your order of $99 or more by using the code PODCAST15. You can use this code by calling 800-786-4751 or stopping by www.revivalanimal.com. Talk through titers with us. 
Yeah, titers are great for distemper. They're great for parvo. We don't have titers for lepto, for instance. The test for leptospirosis is to see if you've been exposed to the bacteria, and it is not going to tell you about immunity. So you have to use the tests that are out there for what they're intended to be used for. And I don't believe we have a test for influenza to see if a patient has immunity. So you're kind of left with distemper and parvo are the only things that you can do. Rabies titers are required for entering certain island countries so that dogs can go into those countries like Australia, like Japan. So those are what those titers are meant to be for. And if your dog doesn't have a current rabies vaccination, the authorities in your community are going to call that dog unvaccinated, even if you do have a titer. So you can't rely on titers in that situation. So in general, dogs should be vaccinated for rabies unless there's a specific medical reason not to. And it's got to be pretty high level to skip rabies, just really high level because of the human health safety. So we're not going to back down on that. Distemper, parvo, yes, you can titer those. And a lot of dogs will have titer to one and not both. So it doesn't really tell you that you don't have to vaccinate for one or the other. But we can't titer for adeno, we can't titer for Lyme, we can't titer for lepto. There's a lot of things we can't. So we simply vaccinate like I said, Bacterins, which are bacterial vaccines, are Lyme, Lepto, Bordetella. Those give us shorter immunity. And then the longer-lasting immunities are the distemper, the parvo, some of the others, like rabies and parainfluenza, adenovirus, some of those. So we probably get longer immunity. And we may get lifetime immunity from some of those, but we don't have a commercial test available to us to test for those viruses. So therefore, the decision has been made that, in general, a three-year vaccination rotation makes sense. But that doesn't mean you have to go every three years and give everything to your dog all at one time, at the same time, all right. on the same visit. And it doesn't make sense to me to do that. And in our practice and a lot of other practices, we do split up vaccinations. And we're very careful to make sure that people don't have to pay additional office visits for those things because we feel strongly that that's important. And there are people who want to take home their own vaccines, but again, there's a risk that that can have an anaphylactic reaction. We maybe see one of those every year or so in our practice. Those aren't common, but if you do have an anaphylactic reaction, it can be pretty serious. And for instance, when people were getting COVID vaccinations, they wanted you to stay at the vaccination site for 15 or 20 minutes just to keep an eye on you to make sure that you didn't have an airway swell shot and find that you were driving at 75 miles an hour when that happened to you on the freeway. That would be very bad. I don't think it was just that Walmart wanted you to stay at their store or Walgreens so that you could spend an extra 20 minutes shopping, but it was probably not a bad side effect. Anyway, we see an occasional vaccine reaction in our practice. I had one two weeks ago. I had a client that came in, wanted all their vaccinations at the same time. I said, are you sure you really want to do that? Oh, yes, she's done this before. Everything is fine. Well, she was back at six o'clock that night mm. because she was sick. So you can very comfortably split up vaccinations and not give them all at one time. And it's not recommended to give them all at one time because if we start listing off both strains of influenza and Lyme disease and then the airway vaccination, the nasal vaccination for Bordetella, which includes parainfluenza and adenovirus, and then we have distemper, adeno, parainfluenza, parvo, four strains of lepto and rabies, that's a really large number of antigens to give to one little patient. And the smaller the patient, the more serious that becomes. Now, that doesn't mean you give a half dose of vaccine. A dose of vaccine is a dose of vaccine. You don't split it up and make it into smaller amounts because you have a little dog. A vaccine dose is a vaccine dose. So please don't fall into that. But talk to your veterinarian about whether you can have some in the spring and some in the fall. You should have at least two weeks between them so that the immune system has a chance to recover. And do we see vaccine injuries in dogs and cats? And yes, we do. And we see them in humans. But 
in general, they don't happen often. And if you are smart about your vaccination protocols and how you split them up and the time of year you give them based on when exposures occur, you can make this a much safer situation than just blasting the dog with everything all at one time. Right. Okay. So then follow up to that. And this, I'm not sure if this falls into myth busting or rabbit holes or what this falls into. (laughs) I'll go for it. But there is a sense, a feeling out there in the community that over vaccinating our dogs is triggering, perhaps, if not directly causing, triggering autoimmune or cancer or other types of issues. Is there any research to that or is that just people going... I don't know. I don't think we have any evidence that it causes a problem with cancer. I think there is some indication that too many vaccinations at the wrong time in the immune system can cause some of the immune-mediated diseases like autoimmune hemolytic anemia, thrombocytopenias, those kinds of things. And so if you have a dog that has a family history of that or a dog that has that, of course that's going to change when you vaccinate your dogs and how you vaccinate your dogs. And that will make some of those dogs then perhaps opt out of the standard vaccinations. And that means then you have to treat that dog differently. If you're not vaccinating for Lyme disease, you need to up your game on flea and tick control. If you're not vaccinating against some of the infectious diseases like kennel cough and influenza, then you probably need to not put your dog in a boarding kennel or take your dog to the groomer when other dogs are there. So there's definitely some things that go on with that. In fact, we had one client that had a dog that failed to respond to the Parvo vaccine And Dr. Schultz, who I previously mentioned, he was the guru that's now retired and Lori Larson has taken over his diagnostic lab, the CAVID lab at University of Wisconsin. We had a dog that didn't respond to the Parvo vaccine and he recommended not even breeding her because of the genetic potential of this dog having puppies that couldn't respond to the Parvo vaccine and then therefore they would be vulnerable to it. So there's a lot of nuances to this. You can't just say every dog gets everything all at one time and call it done. Because every dog should be handled differently. If you have a dog and with a history, can't say that just don't ever vaccinate anything because bad. No, right. So that's right. what I'm trying to go down our little rabbit hole and dig out a right. little bit. Is everything is individual, and I would love, and we've touched on this a couple other times in a couple other episodes, but the concept of genetically not titering to a disease with vaccination. To me, this is so fascinating, a concept. And I can remember with the clumbers, my mom would always vaccinate them very young because as a breed, they didn't titer well. And I've also heard that that is true in like Rottweilers and maybe Doberman. Uh So we got a couple extra minutes. Can we deep dive a little bit on that concept of genetic and vaccines? Sure. And we do have pretty good evidence that Rottweilers, Dobermans, and some of the Pipple Terrier lines of dogs don't respond well to certain vaccines, Parvo in particular. So if you know that about your line of dogs, you'll probably want to be careful with exposure, with how you vaccinate. Sometimes changing manufacturers of vaccines, going from one manufacturer to another, will get us an immune response. And we've seen that happen if we've had dogs that have come in that have been appropriately vaccinated at the correct time intervals and they still haven't got immunity then doing a different vaccine manufacturer can make a difference because they put different adjuvants and different strains of viruses into the vaccines. Yeah, there's a lot of little nuances to this. 
there's certainly other things that need to be taken into account. Like I said, the timing of it, we don't like to vaccinate for leptospirosis under 12 weeks of age because it can be immunosuppressive. So unless you have pretty strong evidence that your puppies are going to be exposed to lepto prior to 12 weeks, we recommend waiting until that. You want to vaccinate at least two weeks apart. If you vaccinate more often than every 14 days, like a lot of people will do this with puppies, their immune system hasn't had an opportunity to respond to the vaccine, to the virus or the bacterium that's in it. So you need to give them enough time. So that's why intervals are typically three to four weeks. And unfortunately, we do have some people that have been informed that they should vaccinate more often. Typically, they're larger scale breeders and working with brokers. And they've been told by the brokers to vaccinate every seven days. They've been told by some vaccine companies to vaccinate every seven days, which then suppresses the immune system and doesn't give them an opportunity to respond. And so to me, that's a bit of a frustration because we're seeing puppies that are lost to those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand enough about the immune system and immunity and how vaccines work to be smart about how you do it. So yes, there's definitely some things that can be done. And if you have a line of dogs that you think perhaps doesn't respond well, then it's simple. You do titers and you find out if they have. If your dog had a bad reaction to a vaccine, you do a titer. You just don't vaccinate it again. But like I said, you want to add the additional bits of things in that give you other protection. So you just don't treat a dog that doesn't respond to vaccines like you do everybody else. Maybe that dog doesn't go to dog shows. Maybe that dog has to be kept separate from dogs that come home from dog shows. So, you know, if you have an elderly dog, a pregnant dog, you know, a dog that's been sick, you're going to protect that dog. So there are certain things that you should think about when you're moving dogs in and out of your house. I also think that there's the opposite and that people can get just a little too freaked out and they'll say, well, I have a pregnant dog or I have a dog that I've bred. And so I'm not going to any dog shows. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying home for the next nine weeks. And I say to them, well, did you ever have children? And they'll say, well, of course I did. And I'll say, well, did you stay home for nine months every time you were pregnant? And they look at me like, well, of course not. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's balance common sense here with exposure and just be smart about it. If there's a dog set up at the dog show next to you, that's coughing, move or yell at them. (laughs) Yeah. If there's diarrhea on the floor, don't step in it. I mean, some of these things like basic things, Dr. Michael Lappin, who's double boarded, he's an internal medicine and an infectious disease specialist at the University at Colorado State Veterinary School. He says, well, you know, basic things like don't rub pus in your eye. I mean, you know, just, some pretty basic stuff of minimize your exposure, folks. So you just have to be smart about it. If you're on an airplane and somebody's coughing, put your mask on. I mean, just use some common sense here. Yeah. It is not always a flower that grows in everyone's garden, but (laughs) it is an important feature, I think. And I don't mean to make light of people's concerns, but I really felt strongly that this is something that needed a little maybe better information a little closer yes. to the source. And so yes. Pure Dog Talks got you guys. Bottom line, vaccinate your dogs for canine influenza. There has been a shortage. It is apparently under control. They released 1.3 million doses of vaccine about a month ago. I think one of the reasons that there was some hesitation in putting too much emphasis on this in the media or through AKC when this was showing up at AKC events and other things like that was there wasn't a vaccine quantity available that was going to meet the needs of what people had. So I think from a cynical perspective, I think that the vaccine companies perhaps held a little tighter to the information than they ordinarily would have, Mm -hmm. but the vaccine is available. 
if your veterinarian will dispense the vaccine and you're comfortable doing it, I'm okay with you vaccinating your own dogs, but be aware you can have an anaphylactic reaction. Vaccinate in the morning when your vet is going to be open for the day. Don't vaccinate Sunday night and have an anaphylactic reaction and then have to wait six hours in line at the emergency room. So use, again, common sense about this. And if your vet will dispense vaccine, great. And if they won't, that's fine. Load them up, take them in, pull into the parking lot with a whole load of dogs, get your dogs vaccinated, and keep them up to date on vaccines. We don't know how long this influenza vaccine is good for. Because the vaccine's only about five years old, it's hard to know how long the vaccine is going to be providing immunity to our dogs. And it is a virus. So in our house, when we had the adult dogs, they were just getting one booster. Go out and have fun and enjoy yourselves. But give your dogs the benefit of the vaccine that's available to them because it's very safe. I have yet to see one dog react badly to the influenza vaccine. I haven't had any kind of an anaphylactic reaction. I haven't seen any pain or swelling at the injection site. They've tolerated it really well. And if you're in a situation where your dogs are around other dogs, which is most everybody, vaccinate. Always the right answer. And keep in mind that sometimes the news media doesn't get information about our world exactly right. So. <laughs> well, they don't understand a lot about us. That's the dog that's, people. That's why you need to come here to Pure Dog Talk, and we got you covered. So, thanks, Smarty. Thanks to the listeners who asked for this particular episode. So, thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one, Marty. All right. Take care. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin'. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck 99, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred, purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. 
drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 